Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have an award-winning private chef highlighting the fusion of indigenous and Mexican cuisine. She is a chef, entrepreneur, and founder of Piet's Plate. It's Piet de Spain. Piet, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on being a 2024 Food Network hotlister. How does it feel? Oh my gosh. Honestly, if you would have asked me three years ago if I'd be here on this podcast, I'd be like, ha, yeah, right. So, <laughs> I mean, it feels great. It feels amazing, you know? Yeah. And um, very well deserved considering everything that you've been up to for the last few years, including your Tournament of Champions debut. Congrats on that as well. Making the qualifiers for season five. What was it like walking into that arena for the first time? You know, it was so surreal because I've been watching all of the people that are typically on, you know, Tournament of Champions for years on Food Network. And I have my favorites and people I've been really looking up to and following. And I cannot believe that I had an opportunity, I ha- you know, to to be on and potentially be going up against these like super mega star chefs and super talented people. So just to be in the same breath is just so I'm I feel honored and special and lucky. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is my life now. (laughs) A pinch me moment for sure. What was your impression of Guy? Guy is actually really, really cool. Very laid back dude. He's chill down to earth. And he's one of those people that just kind of he's like looks you in your in the eyes when he's talking to you, which is great. Because sometimes people can, you know, they only see what's on TV and they don't know the person, but they see this like TV personality. And he's just as charismatic in person as he is on TV. So it's great to see him off camera be the same person he is on camera. And I really admire that. Yeah, we've heard that a lot here on this podcast uh, with, with different guests. We won't give too much away. I know your your episode has not yet aired, but we cannot wait to watch and, and continue to see uh, your face pop up on the network uh, in the future. And speaking of which, I think diehard Food Network fans might also remember you from your episode of Dig In With, where you make a toasted peanut butter and jelly sandwich uh, with a few extra additions. And it, it holds a lot of nostalgia for you. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about this dish and uh, why it holds a a special place in your heart? Yes. So that dish was actually a little controversial because some people were like, oh, no, I would never eat that. And some people were like, ooh, I don't know. That makes sense. I can kind of see that, you know, coming together nicely. So it's one of those little snacks and dishes that don't knock it until you try it. Because growing up, my grandfather used to make this peanut butter and jelly toasted sandwich for us. And he would fry ham like in a skillet and then put it on 
the the toast for us. And we would eat that all the time. And it was so good. And it was like such a treat. And so when I got older and I just decided to like play around with some some of those little nostalgic snacks, I put a fried egg on it. And I was like, oh, this is a hitter. So <laughs> my grandfather was always making us eat and do weird things that are a little bit out of the norm. But he just he loved cooking. And he's one of the people that really inspired me to be in the kitchen and learn how to cook when I was younger. And it's just one of those really special little snacks that I'll keep around, you know? Yeah. You mentioned during the episode that you didn't realize for a while that not everybody eats their PB&J that way. I'm curious if you remember the first time you you had that revelation that that was not the normal PB&J recipe. As a kid, obviously, we've all eaten PB&J. But mm. the moment I had that particular PB&J for my grandfather, something happened. When you are exposed as a child to really bold flavors or things that are a little, what is the word I'm looking for? Intricate, you know, and you have something that's like sweet and savory, it has all these things. It's like one of those like ratatouille moments when they mix the strawberry with the cheese and you're like, you know, your brain's exploding. And I'm like, (laughs) what are these things? It's sweet. It's savory. It's crunchy. The peanut butter is there. The ham is there. And it's like one of those, it was one of those moments. And then ever since then, it was just something that me and my brothers were always asking for. You mentioned also just like, you know, those memories of helping in the in the kitchen as a kid. What what are some of those earliest memories, maybe helping out your grandfather or, you know, you're, you know, cooking with your brother or anything like that? So my grandfather was a very smart man and he was the one that really implemented a lot of nutritional whole foods in our diet. So we would have to, you know, help him in the kitchen as well. So you kind of had to earn your keep. You know, he was one of those (laughs) grandfathers. He was like immigrant, first generation immigrant from Mexico. He was my mom's adopted father, but we also have Mexican descent in our bloodline. But he was the one that really instilled out the culture in us. And so even when he was younger, he had to learn, you know, young, how to help go help his mom in the kitchen, help around the house, earn his keep, be like a man of the house and, you know, amongst his family members and his sisters and his siblings. And he really taught us that as well. So growing up, he used to call me Sugar. That was my (laughs) nickname. So he's like, Sugar, come in here and come help me clean these beans. And so I'd (laughs) sit at the table and I would sort through the beans. And he used to tell me, like, you make sure you don't put and get all all the rocks because if there's rocks in our beans, we can break a tooth. And I was like, oh no, we can't break teeth. (laughs) So I felt like I had this like super important job by cleaning the beans. And anytime that it was time to clean the beans, I was like so excited, eagerly like going into the kitchen to help him out. Or maybe it was like cutting carrots. So, you know, we would always have instead of chips with our sandwiches for lunch, we'd always had sliced carrots and my grandfather just he loved cooking and we had to earn our keep and get in the kitchen with him and and clean. So clean those beans or clean the dishes or do anything to help out. And the same goes for my dad's side of the family. My grandmother was an amazing baker. And I used to go into the kitchen when she had these huge cakes that she would bake, whether it was like a wedding cake or a birthday cake. And she would be making these buttercreams from scratch. And I was just like, amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, how does she know how to do this stuff? And as a kid, of course, we love cake. We love frosting. We love all the sweets. And so to see her, it was like a magician, like this little like cake magician, like just make things happen. I was always asking, how can I help grandma? I want to learn. So anytime that I had an opportunity to be in the kitchen with my grandparents, I was just peeking over the countertop trying to figure out what they were doing. Do you remember the first thing that you learned to cook like on your own, not just, you know, sorting through beans or or helping out here and there? Oh, that is a tough one. So I always loved making soups. I have a very funny story. I made one of my mom's friends one time. He wasn't feeling well. And I was like, I'm going to make him some soup because he's sick. And I went outside. I don't even know how old I was, probably like six (laughs) years old. I went outside and I was like pouring water in these bowls and these concrete, putting like dirt and leaves and like making a make-believe soup. And I like put it all in a cup and I was like, here, I made you some soup to make you feel better. And I just remember like from that point on, like I was like, remembering soup was a way for us to feel better. And it was Mm -hmm. something that I always liked cooking. And so you just throw everything into a a big old pot and you just let it simmer for a couple hours and it's super easy. But yet you come out with this delicious thing that makes you feel better all the time. But even, you know, when I was younger, not knowing how to cook, I was trying to make people feel better with this make-believe little fake soup that I would make out of like dirt and water. (laughs) (laughs) 
I assume you got better at making actual soup as as time went on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about, you know, just your time growing up as a kid on the Osage Reservation and what you remember from that. And if any cooking techniques from that time in your life have stuck with you as well. You know, I am so incredibly grateful that I have those memories, even if it was just for like a short period of time in my Mm -hmm. life. I didn't have my whole childhood be on that reservation. It was in between Osage Reservation and Kansas City, which is only about 45 minutes outside of my tribe's reservation in Mayetta, Kansas. But I just remember, you know, going on these long drives back and forth and seeing all of the the ranches and you see the farms, you see all these corn fields and you just see nature and you see food. And you and I just remember looking out the windows and looking at all these cattle and bison ranches and asking questions. And I think, you know, growing up in the Midwest really gave me that wholesome, you know, I guess, personality or values that that we do have from the Midwest and that people think about that people have in the Midwest is like is exactly what we have. And we have those like well-mannered, I guess, characteristics about us that we grew up in kind of old school, as people would say, and you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You look people mm-hmm. in the eyes, you're honest, you're hardworking, you're all the things. And so growing up on the reservation was very much so like being surrounded by the culture and understanding the the, the social norms, you know, like from whether you're smudging yourself every, you know, every day or during certain holidays, your community gets together and you're eating cultural foods or playing hand games or, you know, doing these little, what we call, we call them like drum circles. Mm -hmm. And it's, I guess you can consider it a powwow, but it's just people getting together and like dancing and just being submerged into the culture and being surrounded by community members was very amazing, like great and amazing. And then eating foods that are traditional and non-traditional, like on Osage, they eat what's called meat pies. And I've never eaten a meat pie off of Osage Reservation. I only ate them there. Really? When I left the reservation, I would ask people about, have you ever had a meat pie? And they're like, I don't even know what that is. And I'm like, what? You never had a meat pie? And there's some natives that don't even know what that is. And it's just like things like that or like grape dumplings. We grew up eating grape dumplings as well, which is basically literal grapes, like grape. You can put actual grapes. They would use grape jam and make kind of mm-hmm. like a grape gravy and then put dumplings and cook it in there in this big pot. And I know that sounds like the craziest thing ever, but it's one of those things where it's like when you grew up eating it, it's an acquired taste. Mm -hmm. And these are all like survival foods that native people have, you know, been accustomed to making. And then now we can kind of call it like our cultural foods, even though it was creative out of survival, but yet we still have these like core recipes and core dishes that are at every gathering, whether it's a soup or a stew or the three sisters or wild game, venison, elk, bison, things like that. So it's a modge podge of these things, but then also being multicultural. I also grew up in a Mexican-American household on my dad's side where I was, you know, introduced to all these like spices and soups and stews and all of the things that are so amazing about Mexican cuisine as well. So I will say that I'm pretty blessed to have the experiences of both sides of the culture and food was at the center at both of them. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think that makes sense that, you know, you've kind of you know, develop this very unique culinary, you know, point of view where it's indigenous fusion cuisine, which really blends, you know, what you've been talking about, you know, your background, both Native American and Mexican. How how do you kind of blend that together into your culinary creations? So the thing that I have faced the most difficulty when it comes to introducing something that people don't know what it is is having the ability to fuse two things together, one in which people are familiar with and one in which people are not too familiar with. So being able to combine both Native American and Mexican food allows people a nice little, you know, step into the world of indigenous cuisine. And I'm a firm believer in the border crossed us. We didn't cross the border. We just have influences of two different settling, you know, groups of people that came in and took over and now our language and our everyday life is completely different than what it, you know, could have been or was in the past for the indigenous people that occupy the land. So being able to say, hey, I'm going to do this fusion 
and it's indigenous fusion. And people are like, well, what are you talking about? What is that? I'm like, well, let me tell you. I'm like, have you ever had a tostada before or a burrito or a taco or these things? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, so let's break it down and let's dissect that dish. And let's talk about the ingredients that go inside that dish. So if you're looking at corn, for instance, a corn tortilla, that is an ancient technique that has been happening and being made for hundreds and if not thousands of years and it's something that's been passed on passed on passed on but now we go to the store and we can get we can buy tortillas like no one's business Mm -hmm. but so but no people aren't really stopping and thinking like oh my gosh like this is a technique that has been around for so long this is an ingredient that's been around so long and this ingredient alone has you know been the base of survival of indigenous people of this country and so when you really dissect the ingredients and are able to really do the storytelling and educate people on the technique, then they start opening up their minds and being like, wow, this is beautiful. What else can I learn? I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about the beans that are in this. Let's talk about this ingredients or that ingredient. And then people start to understand it. And then when you tell the stories and not only are you educating yourself, but you're reconnecting yourself to that ingredient. And when you eat it, it changes your perspective of every time you eat it, you think about that story. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that that's at the core value of the food that I cook is reconnecting us to our roots, reconnecting us to the food because we are what we eat. And food is more than just something that we eat and it makes you feel good. And you're like, yeah, that was delicious, but it's, it's something that contributes to your, your mind, your body and your spirit well-being. Why is it so important to you to have that connection in your food and and remembering your heritage and and where this all came from? I think for me, there was a pivotal moment in my career where I was just making food that my clients wanted and I didn't feel Mm -hmm. connected. And I felt a little like phony and I guess fraudulent cooking like Mediterranean food and I'd never even been in the Mediterranean you know so I'm like how am I how am I like yeah I'm an expert at this and I'm like actually a girl has never even been to the Mediterranean so why am I cooking this food that I don't have a personal connection to Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that people even wanted to know about it and maybe they still don't which is fine I'm still going to do what I do but I think for me it was being proud of the food that I was cooking and feeling connected. I've always been someone that loved teaching people about health and wellness. I have a certification in holistic um, wellness coaching. And I, you know, I want to help people become healthy again. And with, you know, cooking food that I'm not passionate about, I just felt like that was a step in the opposite direction of what I was doing or trying to do. So it's important to me because a, I feel like it's my true passion to really teach people about indigenous foods because it is in in alignment with what I have always wanted to do. And also making my people proud because you come to the Americas and you don't see any trace of the indigenous or the original people of the country. You just see, you know, a mosh podge of all these other cultures and none of them are us, you know, and I just want to make my people proud and I want to be proud of who I am. And I really want to open that door for other people to accept who we are, what we are, and not focus on where we've been in the past and what happened to us, but who we are as a community today and what we're doing within our communities to make sure that we are strong and You know, we are reclaiming a lot of our language and our traditions. And I just want us to be respected and celebrated just like all these other cultures are. Coming up next, Piet talks about how she combines the food of her heritage in her dishes and later reveals why she left the corporate world for culinary school. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How do you balance, I guess, you know, honoring the authenticity of those, you know, traditions and your people, but also, you know, innovating and creating these new dishes that are uniquely yours. Like, where is, where's the balance there? Like, how do you, how do you kind of straddle that line? Oh, this is a tough one because you have, oh man. So you have the people within our communities that are like, this is for us and should only be for us. But if we keep it that way, we are singling ourselves out, or I guess you could say we are isolating ourselves from being exposed to the greater mass of people and the world by saying it's only for us. It can be only for us, but there's a way to be able to amplify our voices because not everybody wants to be seen in this very specific way, which is the Indian and the buckskin or, you know, like we are trying to get away from that perspective of who we are and and teach people how to accept us in the modern day world of like who, who we are today. And what I do is I teach people in a way that's staying honorable to our traditions. And although, yes, I'm sharing cultural foods and traditional lifestyle and techniques, I'm saying if even if you aren't indigenous, even if you aren't native, this is how you can honor this. And I have a cookbook that's coming out where there's going to be a lot of teaching people how to do that and welcoming them in. I don't like to use harsh words that are like colonization, even though that's exactly what happened Mm -hmm. or decolonizing your diet, which is exactly what I'm doing. But I'm rephrasing it in a way that makes people feel welcome to joining us on that journey, because it's not just natives that really need to decolonize ourselves. It's the whole world that needs to... Mm -hmm to to switch the perspective, think about, you know, what they're putting in their bodies, where they're sourcing the ingredients from. And I'm doing all of this in a way that's welcoming people in to to letting them realize like, oh, I've been colonized as well. I've completely lost my power over what I'm putting in my body. I'm looking on Instagram and seeing all these big, huge hamburgers with the cheese pools and the cheesy (laughs) fries and everything's fried this and fried that. And it's just, I mean, yeah, from time to time, it's like, I love eating that and I love looking at it and I think it's amazing, but I don't want that to be what I'm consuming every day of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how do we balance this out by taking indigenous ways and bringing them into our current lifestyle, growing our own food, sourcing it sustainably, you know, s- celebrating the mom and pop shops down the street that are struggling and giving back to our communities, you know, keeping our environment and our neighborhood strong and kind of stepping away from that mainstream corporate world of thinking, but also like our food system is garbage. Let's just be honest right now. Yeah. Like the moment <laughs> it is. the moment you put food in a box and a big colorful letters across it, it's like, the, is that the moment that you separate yourself from the food? And like, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to teach people how to reclaim that power again. What What would be like an example of a dish that kind of encapsulates all of those things that you just talked about? 
this is so good because it's the simplest thing ever. <laughs> and I ta- I like I, t- I tell the story so many times. I talk to people all the time about it, but it's literally just the three sister salad. It's beans, corn, squash. And I educate people on the journey of each of these ingredients. And if you want to, you know, sustainably source some of your protein instead of, you know, going to whatever major grocery store that's a chain, just go to your local butcher and like add some protein to your meal. But the the three sisters is, you know, a farming technique, an agricultural technique, a method that was obviously recreated to give back to mother earth. And it's yes, we're, we're harvesting food that is nurturing us, but in return, we're nurturing mother earth. And so it's just one of those synergies that simultaneously feeds each other energetically where it's nurturing. And that is one of the dishes that's super simple to, to make super simple to source those ingredients because everything is dried apart from the squash, but the squash, you know, we find in our grocery stores or in the farmer's market pretty much all the time. But even if you want to utilize frozen vegetables, it's just as healthy for you. But yeah, the Three Sisters is one that I like to really teach people that that's a dish to kind of get your your foot in the door of of reclaiming that and understanding the stories behind the indigenous foodways. What's it like for you having grown up, you know, in these two cultures and and now being able to really share this perspective on a national stage and show people, you know, watching at home, what these foods look like, what these ingredients look like and why they're important. This, you know, the experience for me of being able to share all of this on a national platform is honestly a dream come true. Because once I realized I wanted to pivot the type of food that I was cooking for my clients or the food that I was putting out into the world and representing myself, I, I wanted to, I wanted to do exactly what it is that I'm doing. And I wanted to teach, you know, people in masses and and show how proud I was of my environment that I grew up in and just the traditions. And so to be able to do that on these huge platforms is absolutely incredible. And I, I've realized that it takes a lot of courage to be quite honest, a lot of bravery, because there are moments that I get backlash from people in my own communities because they're just like, oh, she's appropriating our culture because she's not keeping it traditional. And it's like, you know, brown people can also apparently appropriate their own cultures, but I'm not trying to appropriate anybody's culture or my own. I'm just trying to highlight it in a way that makes sense to the rest of the world and and try to explain to them who we are. And and not every every tribe is the same, not all of our cultural foods and traditions and language are the same. There's just, you know, there's so many different tribes across the U.S. that have their different, you know, have differences. And, you know, trying to be a person that is the spokesperson of that is very, very hard. And I I wake up like, oh, my gosh, I'm doing something on Food Network or I'm cooking this dish and I'm going to be doing on national television. Like, I wonder what people are going to think or say. And I do worry about that. But at the same time, I understand that this is also for me, you know, like I have worked really, really hard. And this is something I'm very passionate about. And the right people will support me. And it's not that many people don't support me. They do 100%. But there are some traditional aunties out there and, and grandmas that are like, she's not doing it right, you know, and they want it to be seen and done a certain a certain way. But I'm the one that's doing it. And so I have to you know, interpret all of this the way that I want, the way that I want to. And I'm, I'm incredibly blessed for these opportunities. And, you know, it took one person, Gordon Ramsay, taking a chance on this native girl, native Mexican girl, and he ate my food. And he really allowed me that platform that he has allowed me to amplify the voices of native people in the culinary world. I'm doing it for them. You know, I'm doing it mm-hmm. for the people that look up to me and, and I'm just blessed. I'm so, I wake up every day and I, I thank creator for the opportunities that I have on a regular basis because I prayed for all of this. I worked really, really hard for all of it. And it's a dream come true. And my dad, my parents, my mom, my grandparents, even they see me on the TV now, even though it's, you know, they've seen me before. They'll see me with my little, you know, guest appearances on different shows and they'll cry and they'll send me pictures. <laughs> and they're like, we're watching, we're cheering for you. And 
And people within my own community do the same thing or people within Indian country, Native, the Native American community across the, the U.S., across the world, Canada and both Mexico will be sending me DMs like we saw you on that show. And we're just so grateful that you're doing this. And so it's 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 a it's an honor. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to be to be that person. I mean, you can hear the passion and the dedication in your voice and how much you do take pride in, in everything that you just spoke about. But it's interesting to me that your path to becoming a chef was not, you know, that was not the plan going in. You started your career in business development. So I'm curious what prompted this shift from the corporate world to, you know, this life of, as a private chef and now what you're doing, because Obviously, you know, start a little bit different and how you ended up here. Yeah. So I did not plan to be a chef. That was not the plan. It was not my cards. I was 24 years old, 23, actually 23 years old when I decided to go to culinary school and 24 when I graduated from my program. So it was just a one year little trade school program that was like an accelerated night school program for like 18 months. And I did it, did what I needed to do. And then I, I moved on and became a private chef. But before I went to school for culinary arts, I was working in the automotive industry and I'd worked okay. in the automotive industry for about four years and I was doing business developing management and I was really good at my job and I was a manager and had my first big girl job making more money than my parents ever had. And I had a 401k and I had insurance and I, <laughs> I had all the things that our parents want us to have because growing up in, you know, an urban area and in a small, you know, city, I was the first of my and my family, my immediate family to go to college on a full ride scholarship. And that wow. was a huge thing for them. And it didn't work out. I didn't even graduate, didn't even get an associates or anything. But I had to figure life out just like everybody else, you know, so I spent, you know, the next after I, you know, dropped out of college at 19 years old, I got my own apartment, I started working two, three jobs and trying to figure life out. And it took me, you know, three to four years, about four years to to get settled into an idea of like, oh, okay. But I had did all these weird jobs. Like I was a bank teller. I worked at a, I worked in retail. I sold perfume. I sold chocolate. I was at Russell Stover's selling chocolate and doing all these odd jobs, worked at call centers. And finally I, la I landed like a really solid gig and job working at the automotive industry, which was great. I was making great money. But I had to figure out what my true passion was. And even though I was making good money and I was good at it, just there was like something missing. And I was thinking to myself, OK, well, I'm at this management position, making great money, doing this great job. But what's the next step for me? And the next step was being, you know, what do you want to do? Be a general manager at a car dealership? And I'm like, oh, no, sweetheart, that is not the move. <laughs> and it's a male dominant industry. And like, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of toxic around those guys. And I was like, I don't know if this is what I want to do forever. So I had to, you know, sit down and think about it. And I had this really good friend to this day. I think her all the time. Her name is Anne. And I was telling Anne about it. And she was like, you know what, Piet? I've noticed that you are really, really happy when you're cooking and you're hosting dinners and you're really good at it. And at the time I was like diving into different cuisines and like broadening my palate. And I was starting to try to plate things all pretty. And she's the one that really planted the seed for me and said, you know, you should look into culinary school. And I never thought about it until that moment. And I, for a few years, I was like, yeah, right. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then eventually I bit the bullet and I went and I did a tour of this culinary trade school that was about 20 minutes, 25 minutes from my house. And I went and I did a tour and just something like a light bulb went on and something switched. And I was like, oh, look, think of all the possibilities that could happen in this kitchen, you know, all these different spices and all these things I can learn. And it just really spoke to me in a way that nothing ever had before. And I bit the bullet and I signed up for culinary classes that same day. Wow. And ever since then, it's just been like this tremendous passion of mine to learn more and to seek more and to be better at it. And I think that's the beautiful, most beautiful thing about being a chef and working in the culinary world is like the amount of knowledge there is out there in the world is it's endless. The possibilities are endless. There's so much you can do in food. 
And it's one of the most intimate relationships we have with anything in the world because it's a sensory overload. It's like you're eating it, you're seeing it, you know, you're tasting, you're smelling, you're hearing the sounds of like the textures as things are crackling on the stove or, you know, it's just like, it's all one of those things that really consumes you and that, that relationship you have with food is so, so intimate. And I don't know, it just, it captured me and it's, it's stuck so I thank goodness that my friend was like, you should go to culinary school. And I was like, yeah, right, girl. And nobody got time for that. And then finally I was like, oh, maybe I got some time. Every, everyone needs a, an Anne in their life, right? Seriously. Yeah. I mean, you talked about having that, you know, that comfy job with the benefits, the 401k, the insurance. What was the challenge in going from that lifestyle to being, you know, a private chef, an entrepreneur, somebody that's basically in charge of all of those things on your own? You know, I will say the corporate world really taught me structure. And that is something that is desperately needed when you become an entrepreneur, because you go from someone telling you what to do, when to do it, when to click out, when to clock in, when to clock out, gives you all these to do's. And then you are switching it over to like, oh, now I have to be responsible for myself to get A, B and C done today. And if I don't do it within this time frame, then it's going to make tomorrow even harder for me. And there's no one there to there's no safety blanket. There's no one there to 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 take the, you know, put the blame on. It's all you. And so mm-hmm. that accountability and that structure is something that really helped. Thank goodness I have that, you know, in my back pocket to revert to. But for most entrepreneurs, it's like starting from scratch and and ground zero is just like tough because you have to learn all of those different aspects and things to to be a successful entrepreneur. And they help. It's not like everything. There's so much that will happen along that journey that you have to learn and kind of roll with the punches. And but it definitely helped. And so, you know, it's quite the change of having that little safety blanket behind me to know that like, oh, I'm always going to have this paycheck coming in. But eventually when I decided to leave the corporate world and be a full time chef, it was all up to me at that point. It was like paycheck to paycheck, trying to figure out, you know, line yourself up for the next few months. And then when things are lined up and then the the client cancels, you're like, oh no, what am I going to do? And there's been a lot of times where I was just like crying and I'm like, why did I choose this life? This is stupid, (laughs) you know? But then you have to really remind yourself of your why, why you're doing what you're doing. But yeah, it was quite the transition. How did you keep going? Like what forced you to just like keep your head down and, and continue on the path? You know, I... I teach people, I I teach people, there's a workshop that I have. It's called Beyond the Kitchen, A Recipe to Success. And it's a workshop where I teach people these four key ingredients. Okay. Mm -hmm. The ingredients are your why, which is finding your why, obviously, your community. The third one is your secret ingredients. And then the last one is celebrate your wins. So these are the things that I implemented in the beginning stages of my career not knowing that I'm implementing them because you don't know what you're doing really. You're just kind of going with the flow and I try to mm-hmm. make ends meet. But I had to revert back to my why at every single corner, every stage, every chapter, every downfall, every, you know, high mountain, every accomplishment. I was always keeping my why at the forefront and figuring out what that was and making sure that every decision I made was in alignment with that. Because as entrepreneurs, you will get these opportunities that are like kind of veering off to a different road. And it's like, wow, that paycheck look real, looks really good over there. <laughs> you know, oh, that security blanket looks real good. Or I know that's not the food I like to make, but that client wants me to do this. And I don't really want to do that. It feels icky. It feels, you know, the, you, there's all these different scenarios and situations that aren't really in alignment. And yeah, you can do them and then you'll do them. And sometimes I've, I've done it. You know, I'm like, oh, that's not really what I want to do, but I'm going to do it because I need that check. And then at the end of it, I'm like, ugh, that felt icky. It didn't feel good. <laughs> or maybe that client was like treating me bad or, you know, you just get stuck in all these weird situations. And I had to learn like, okay, check in with yourself. Is this in alignment with where you're trying to go? Are these relationships, people, places in alignment with your why? And if they're not, then you already know your answer. 
And it, it takes a while to strengthen that and to listen to your intuition, keep your why at the forefront. But that's the one thing that I always reverted to. I remember, you know, it's no secret that I was homeless for a few years. I talk about it on my my season of Next Level Chef about the obstacles that I faced as an entrepreneur and as a woman, you know, couch surfing. And all I had was my car, my cat and two suitcases in my trunk. And I was just Mm. going from house to house, couch to couch, trying to figure life out, putting myself in weird situations where I'm like, I need somewhere to sleep though. You know? And I'm like, I got the thing that kept me going was I just remember being on the phone with my mom and I was in tears and I was like, I had like an epiphany almost. And I was just like, mom, it just dawned on me that I'm homeless. And she's like, what are you doing? You know, like, why are you doing this? You can always come back home. And for me, going back home was failing. It was not just failing at my dream, but it was letting myself down, letting my family down because I made this huge move over to the West Coast and trying to like make big things happen. And there was just this fire inside me that kept me going every single day. And I had to figure out like, okay, what is the fire that's keeping me here? Mm -hmm. Why am I putting myself in this situation right now? And why am I not just going home? And that was the moment that I was like, oh, my why is making my family proud. My why is continuing to, to be on this path of amplifying the voices of indigenous food in this culinary world. My why is being a female entrepreneur in big old LA as a private chef, making a name for myself and doing it for the rest of the ladies out there and for the girls that aspire to dream and be and do things that are scary. Those were all my whys. What would that young, you know, couch surfing Piet think of Piet now? Oh my gosh, man. She would be so proud. She'd be like, okay, girl, I knew you could do it. You did it. (laughs) It was all Uh, worth it. (laughs) uh, No, I'm sure she would be proud. I'm sure your family is incredibly proud um, of you, you know, sticking by that why and remembering why you're doing all that. But I I do need to ask, what is your secret ingredient since you brought it up? (laughs) My secret ingredient, I have two that are they're they're package deal. It's authenticity, which is just being myself. When people mm-hmm. meet me, they're like, wow, you're just the same person you were on TV or people that know me, you know, that have known me my whole life. They're like, she's the same person on TV as she is in real life. Like that mm-hmm. is just Piet. That's who she is. She's <laughs> sassy. She's confident. She's this, she's that. Like I speak my mind. I'm passionate. I'm the same person, like you know, and yes, we evolve and we change, become stronger and smarter. And, you know, the ultimate goal in in life is to continuously evolve. I'm always evolving, but I'm staying true to me and authenticity outshines the rest of the pack. That speaks volumes, you know, and you can always tell when people are being a little phony. You can tell when it's (laughs) not right. You get a little vibe or you get a vibe. So I would say spidey sense. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So authenticity is number one. Number two is love. I just try to do everything with love for myself, for the other people, for everyone in the world. I just want to be kind and loving and I want to be a vessel of all of that. So my mm. my secret ingredients are always authenticity and love. Ah, that's so perfect. So what's next for you in 2024? Ooh, girl, we got big things on the horizon. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> you know, I am so, man. Okay, so I had this like moment the other day And I have a boyfriend now and Mm -hmm. trying to navigate all the things that I have on my plate, no pun intended. (laughs) And a boyfriend is, has been a little bit of a challenge for me because I'm like, I'm at a point in my life where like, I want to get married. You know, I want kids. I want a house. I want a happy home. I want to, you know, a family and all these things. But also it's like, I'm trying to do big girl things. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm building an empire. So right now I am balancing all of that. But at this current moment, all the things that I have ever dreamed of having are literally at the palm of my hands and I'm curating them and I'm building them. So I'm in the process of writing my cookbook, which is like, almost done. It's almost Mm -hmm. done. There's all these little tweaks and things, you know, like people don't understand how much work goes into 
curating a cookbook. It's absolutely insane. And it's a little terrifying because you're putting so much of yourself out there. And obviously I'm doing indigenous fusion foods. So you heard kind of the the, the obstacles that I face trying to do mm. that. But I'm really excited for people to read this book. And I, it's so beautiful. Oh my God. It brings me tears to my eyes just thinking about it. like, it's so beautiful, not just the pictures, but the stories, the ingredients, like my own personal, like stories about these dishes that mean so much to me and little at the to not tell too much but at the end of the book there's an appreciation of all the seasons and the changes and and that happen throughout the year and it gives people time to an opportunity to reflect in their own way which is super important for me so i have the cookbook that's going to be coming out and then i also am curating something big like a project that i've always wanted to do which is it's like how do I say this without giving away too much? But it's allowing people, <laughs> it's allowing the, you know, the masses to see a peek into indigenous culture and cuisine on a streaming platform. That's all mm. I'm going to say. Okay. So you, if all things go well and right, then that's what will be. But I know it will. And it's going to be amazing. So cookbook special project and um, lots of pop-ups this year. You're just getting started. I can definitely tell that. Bigger and better things on the horizon for sure. This has been so much fun getting to know you and hearing your story. We're going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round and then we have one final question for you. All right. Rapid fire questions. Favorite cookbook? Ooh, okay. Favorite cookbook, Colombiana. Okay. Yeah. Sweet or savory? Savory all day. (laughs) <laughs> Same. Uh, your go-to spice. Go-to spice. <sighs> Chili powder. <laughs> All right. The most important part of making tamales is what? Your masa. Your masa has to have enough fat and fluff. A little trick for anyone that wants to know, just get a cup of water when you know when your masa is ready. Get a cup of water, put about a teaspoon of your masa in it. If it floats, it's ready. If it sinks, keep fluffing or add more fat. <laughs> That's a great tip. Favorite Kansas City spot? Ooh, okay. There's a place called El Pollo Rey, and it's a wood fire grilled chicken that they serve. I think with I've like, been there. Yes. No way. So good. It's like, yeah, it's wood fire grilled chicken. And it's like you go in and you're going to leave smelling like smoke because it's right there in the kitchen. They put these big chicken, they put these chickens on this big grill and they cook. Oh my God, it's my favorite place. So every time in, in Kansas City, El Pollo, El Pollo Rey, all day, every day. Love that. Yes. A a, a little known little like category of barbecue in Kansas City that more people should know about for sure. All right. Your most used kitchen tool. Oh, I would say my mandolin. I use my mandolin for everything if I can. All right. Our last question is uh, the question we ask everybody at the end of our Food Network Obsessed interviews. And it is what would be on the menu for your perfect food day. So this is not rapid fire, by the way, you can take as long as you want on this. We want you to take us through, you know, your ideal breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Um, There's no rules. Calories don't count. You can time travel, spend as much money as you want on these meals. There's no rules. It's your day. Ooh, okay. Perfect food day. All right. So I'm going to skip breakfast and just go, I don't know. Are we going breakfast, lunch and dinner? I mean, usually, but it's your day. So do whatever okay. you want. I'll do you can also add in snacks, whatever you want. <laughs> I'll do breakfast, lunch and dinner. So favorite breakfast. I'm like really chill when it comes to breakfast. So I'm starting my day with like some fresh cut papaya with some lime. That's going to be like a fruit, even like a fruit platter. Anything with fruit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, a bowl of oats. Love oats. Even put a little protein in it. Love it. Add a tablespoon, not tablespoons, kind of a lot. Will be a teaspoon <laughs> of peanut butter in your oats. Okay. A little mm-hmm. bit of maple and then top it with blueberries. Amazing. So and a side of like extra fruit. So that's what I'm starting my breakfast off with. It doesn't have to be too hearty. It's it's healthy. It's got some fiber in there. It's gonna get you going for the day. And then for lunch, something like El Pollo Rey, you know, like mm-hmm. a a nice little smoked chicken situation. Maybe it's tacos. Maybe, you know, it's a company with a nice little salad. So we're just going to say a pollo ray because they have like beans. You can make tacos. They have this like pickled onion situation that you can eat with rice. So I'm going to say a place like a pollo ray, wood fire grilled chicken, you guys. And then dinner, 
we're going to end the dinner with, I mean, end the day with dinner. Dinner is going to be Korean barbecue. Mm. When I first moved to L.A. and I discovered Korean barbecue for the first time, I was going three times a week. I was a KBBQ girl all day, every day. I loved it. Love Korean barbecue. I love all the little sides, you know, all the little condiments and things that go with it. Amazing. And then dessert. We're going to end dessert with, hmm, okay, this is because I live on the West Side. Jenny, <laughs> Jenny's ice cream. That's, oh, yes. That's in Venice. And they have what's called, it's a vegan, dairy-free lemon bar ice cream. And the base mm. is coconut cream. Coconut milk. Yeah. Amazing. So a little a little ice cream. Yeah. A little dairy yeah. free ice cream to end it off. So that's for me would be like the perfect day. I'm I, yeah. No, I'm, it help, sounds, I'm happy with that. It sounds very perfect. And once again, congrats on all of your accomplishments. And we so look forward to seeing all of the the big things that you've got coming up. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This has been so fun. And I'm super grateful for another opportunity to talk about what I love and what I'm passionate about. So thank you so much for having me. You can check out Food Network's hot list and Piet's episode of Dig In With on foodnetwork.com. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.